Hey, Beckys and Danas and everybody else listening. I just wanted to say that July 25th, the day before this episode aired, was the anniversary of my cancer diagnosis. My diagnosis date, July 25th, 2012, is oddly one of the most positive days in my life because I got a second chance. I just want to really remind all of my listeners how important it is to get checked out. And I know you hear it all the time. You see commercials. You hear from people that they've gone and gotten mammograms or maybe even know of people that have been diagnosed. And then you might still think, I'm sure I'm fine. I thought that. I thought I was fine. Most people think they're fine. I truly thought there's no world where I would ever have cancer. And I had cancer. And you might be listening right now, and hopefully not, but you might be listening right now, and you might have cancer. You need to get checked. You need to catch it in time. I have had numerous friends, strangers, people telling me all the time that they're being diagnosed. Please, please get yourself checked out. And even beyond a cancer screening, get a physical. I just had a physical And things pop up, things happen, and you just want to catch it in time. Press pause, make an appointment, make a note to make an appointment, and really, really follow through with it. I hope that you encourage friends and family. I hope that you're well. I just wanted to put that out there. And on an unrelated note, please feel free to come see me live and in person I'll be in Bellingham, Washington, September 8th, Olympia, Washington, September 9th, Torrington, Connecticut, September 15th, Rochester, New York, September 16th, Wilmington, Delaware, September 17th, Colorado Springs, September 25th, Breckenridge, Colorado, September 28th, Boulder, Colorado, September 29th. And November 4th in Brooklyn at King's Theater for my next stand-up special taping. Get your tickets now. There's an early and late show. And then I'm off on my European tour in October. Check my website for all European and U.S. dates at tignotaro.com. See you on the road. And lastly, please note that this episode was recorded before the Screen Actors Guild strike. Enjoy the show. Let me tell you, you want to be in Cheerio crowds, people that say Cheerio, Whoops-a-Daisy is a good group to be with. Yes. You want to stay away from people that answer the phone, go. That's what I've noticed. (laughs) Well, there's also the people on social media that will post something and then they'll just say, go. Hilarious. Like everybody's just waiting to let loose and give their opinion. That's like when a kid calls their parent, you can pick me up now. It's like, (laughs) oh, I can? Thank you. Like, come on, guys. Like, you're welcome for this tweet. (laughs) Come on. Come on. That's all I got. Come on. Don't ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro here 
to find out if two podcasting stand-up comedians with semi-autobiographical TV shows are better than one at giving advice. I'm joined today by the actor, writer, and comedian behind the critically acclaimed HBO comedy, Crashing. He has two HBO stand-up specials, hosts the You Made It Weird podcast, wrote the book Comedy Sex God, and hosted the Pete Holmes Show on TBS. Pete Holmes, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Thanks, Tig. Yeah. Welcome. Whenever I do someone else's podcast and they do like a nice intro like that, I'm like, why don't I do that? It makes people feel so immediately disarmed and welcome, you know, and I'm just like, so did you have a good poop this morning? Like just jumping right into nonsense. So thank you. I'm lowering the quality of your show and I'm aware of it. I just want to, I'm going to step up my game. No, I've listened you are to the not. program and it's a classy show. No, this is not a classy show. This format has been done a million times. Has has mine. And it's being done a million times right now. Why do you think people are giving out advice on podcasts? With podcasts, you want it to be almost no effort. You know, when mm-hmm. you're asking somebody to do the podcast, you just want to be like, all you have to do is show up. And something that people can do sort of indefinitely is give advice. And just like how everyone thinks they're a good driver, everyone thinks they're very good at living, even if Mm -hmm. you're like covered in hornets and just like, you know, you're just (laughs) like, I know what you should do. So it's one of those things that everybody loves to do. So it's a good idea for a podcast. Do you feel like you're good at living? Tig Notaro, I... Yes, Petey Pants. I just want to answer with honesty first and humility a distant second and say that I am. I feel, I really think... Do you ever feel like you're parenting yourself? You know, you're you, you, there's like this witnessing presence that's watching your life and giving little advice to yourself. Mm-hmm. And where I am, the altitude that I've arrived at in my own personal life, Val and I were talking, we, we could make each other cry. It's like my relationship is really on point. It's somebody that I feel safe with. Mm-hmm. I've been quoting this endlessly, but James Finley just did my podcast. He's a gorgeous man. And he's like, we all go around with masks and someone says, take off your mask, like you're in a relationship and they go, take off your mask, take off their mask. And then they're terrified of you and they run away because it's just overbearing. Mm-hmm. That was your worst nightmare. And he goes, yeah. a, a true partner says, don't take off your mask. I know you're wearing a mask. In fact, I'll straighten your mask for you and make it more comfortable and, and adjust it for you because you're <laughs> safe here. And then eventually, without any efforting, the mask becomes transparent. Isn't that beautiful? Mm, And I feel like that's happened with Val. She's just my person. And I think that's a huge key to life is finding a safe and silly and smart and challenging and challenging meaning like she, she helps me grow. And then I have a, a spiritually fulfilling life. Like that's a big part of my life. I have a creatively fulfilling life. I'm really pleased with my life. And a lot of it took therapy and effort and, and trust. Now that I'm 44, I'm like, holy shit, we're at a very stable altitude and I am, I'm a happy boy. That's amazing. That's <laughs> incredible. It really is. You know, people do always connect stand up with broken, damaged people. And I don't believe that it has to be that way I agree. A- at all. I, I think that it's some weird thing that artists or comedians tell themselves that they have to have this horrible life and struggle and they have to be broken in all these different ways to be creative. And I just, (laughs) I just don't 
agree with that. I agree. I think it can birth creativeness and you have material, but there's also ways of just living your life that can create material. Even just having, I always say I live in a house with a writer's room with my wife and two kids and You know, my father-in-law used to live here, and we have three cats, and I'm not an alcoholic wreck living a crazy double life. You can find material, and you can be a comedian and artist without being destructive. I agree. You don't have to sit at your typewriter and bleed. I forget who said that, but I like writing. (laughs) I, I write things that I like, and make no mistake, you can set this up like I've set my life up to be as nice as possible. Life will still challenge you, hurt Mm. you, and break you. Yeah. Now, Petey Pants, you're currently touring, right? I am, yeah. On the Where Were We Tour? It's called the Where Were We Tour because it got interrupted. So I thought that Mm. was kind of funny. I don't think a single person has gotten that. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I'm not here to name tours. I'm here to do stand-up comedy. You know what I mean? Well, I named my tour Hello Again, which was the same Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Well, I was literally in Cleveland... When the whole thing happened, the whole lockdown. And then, you know, I'm going to Cleveland in a couple of weeks. Like, it, it's taken this long to, like, get back to it. and But I'm touring it. And I'm doing something that maybe you'll think is interesting. I'm actually filming it. But then oh. I'm going to keep touring it until the special drops in October. I'm looking forward to the feeling of it's filmed. Yeah. I, it's done. Like, this hour is done. I've worked harder on it. Again, I think the 40s are, like, a nice maturation of your of of your comedy chops and i'm like this is mm-hmm. it this is my best hour i'm gonna film it and then i'm gonna keep touring it while i try and rotate in new material and for the next one you've said that podcasting is your preferred medium is that true you prefer that over stand-up that's interesting I, i'm sure i've felt that way at times and look going to our studio sitting down with a friend with almost no preparation and just riffing is an awesome way to uh, make a living and have fun. And there's no flying and there's mm-hmm. so much less pressure. Yeah. But Val and I have really noticed that like, you know, I did a show. Finally, I was coming back on tour. The first show I did back was in um, Austin. And I did the show and, and it was a hell of a way to come back because it was a big theater, bigger than I normally play. It was o- over a thousand people. And I did the show, and then the next day I was walking around, and I was so happy. I was this kind of happy I hadn't felt in a long time. And this sounds so basic, but it mm-hmm. felt like a major revelation, and, and it has shaped my life. Is I went, you don't want to do nothing. You think you do. You want to do nothing after you did something frightening. Like, that's the best nothing. It's the great yeah, yeah. secret of life. Yeah. And, and you see this yeah. in how personal development, you see this in physical development, it's all like put in and get out, put in and get out. Mm. But we're always trying to hack the system. That's what alcohol is. That's what drugs is. It's like, what if I just have the feeling? And I'm not, I'm not railing against those things, but just get, get curious about like, what are we doing? Like, I just Mm -hmm. want the feeling of chocolate, you know, Mm -hmm. but you can take it too far. Yes. You can definitely take (laughs) chocolate too far. I've done that many times. Well, I, I'm that way. way. I'll eat yeah. the whole. I can't have stuff like that in my house. That's another way I've learned myself. I'm like, you can't You'll have Oreos. You eat two bunny ears at Easter morning. You don't care. <laughs> That's too far. Both of those are gone. Too far. <laughs> too far. <laughs> You've gone too far. Um, 
So do you feel like you're good at giving advice if we transition now into the yeah. advice? I guess I mean, it, it must you seem be like be- you'd be a solid advice giver. I like giving advice because I like getting advice. I want people to give me advice and I like giving the advice usually that someone else has given me. So yes, I'm game. All right. Our first question is a D&D dilemma. Okay. Gary writes, Dear Tig, I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons for most of my life, over 40 years. It used to be something people were ashamed to talk about, but now, thanks to shows like Stranger Things, old gamers like me have come out of hiding. The only problem is my new boss recently found out about my hobby and has asked to join my weekly game. He is a truly awful person with some toxic behaviors, and I don't want to spend one minute with him outside of work, especially during my favorite time with friends. How can I get out of inviting him without placing myself atop his next layoff list? Wow. Are you a a D&D player? I'm not a D&D player, but um, I hope this person is the dungeon master because that's quite a scenario that they've spun. Um, I don't know why I missed the boat because the idea of sitting around in a basement at a card mm-hmm. table pretending we're wizards and stuff sounds really cool to me. I, and I'm not trying to be funny. I just, those, that's not what my friends were into. If it had been, yeah. that's what we would have done. But yeah. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't about to suggest it. My brother used to play it, but I never, never got into it. It's a lot of like stats yeah. and numbers. It's a lot. And, and it's, it's even more when your toxic boss wants to be a part of it. Um, That's right. I immediately think of a couple of things, but Gary seems concerned about losing his job because there's always the direct response of, I like to keep work and social life separate. separate. Mm-hmm. And then there's also just the skating around it and acting like you're not playing right lately what you said made me think of there's this woman named byron katie who wrote a book called loving what is that is on the short list it's you know the top three of my life-changing books and she i can explain it very quickly she has this something called the she calls it the work and it's four mm-hmm. questions that you ask and instead of explaining it i'll do the work on mm-hmm. this guy's belief so you take a okay. belief if i don't invite my boss to dungeons and dragons i'll be fired or laid off. So the first question is, is that true? And maybe this person says, yes, right? Let's say he says, yes, that's true. Then the second question is, you go, can you be absolutely certain that that is true? Mm-hmm. And even just with that, there's just a blossoming. It's like the flower inside of you just kind of opens a little yeah. bit, if you're like me. You go, I can't know that he will do. In fact, now that I've stopped and thought about it, it seems kind of ridiculous that a man who mentioned that he liked D&D would fire a competent employee. This is a grown person. Mm-hmm. He's been not invited to things in the past. He will continue to not be invited to things. He also, Especially if he's toxic. Especially if he's toxic. <laughs> yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I hear it. <laughs> the third one is, how do I feel when I believe I will be fired if I don't invite my boss? Well, I feel tight. I feel uh, despondent. I feel sad. I feel angry. How would mm-hmm. I feel if I didn't believe it? If I just chose to just as a thought experiment live in a world where you're like, I can't know. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound true. I don't know how people feel. I don't know what's going to happen. It it seems 
crazy that I'm holding onto this belief so firmly. I would feel spacious. I would feel happy. I would laugh at myself. Just, just try it on like a pair of yeah. sneakers in the footlocker. You don't have to buy it. Just try it on. How does it feel to not believe it? And then it's called the turnaround. You go, how is this true? My boss will not fire me if I don't invite him to D&D. How is that true? You build a case for the opposite. And the reason mm-hmm. it's not true is it hasn't happened yet. You haven't had him mm-hmm. over and it hasn't happened. So that's proof. Can you think of other times you maybe didn't invite somebody to something and nothing bad happened? That would be evidence for this, all that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. So that's a little cursory explanation of the work. That Mm -hmm. being said, what would I do? I would go, that's probably not true. I'm going to skirt the issue. I'm just going to not mention it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if he does, the game's full. We, We have a full table right now. And how do you feel about saying that you don't like to combine work and social life? How would I feel saying that? Yeah. How, would you say that to your boss? That is very direct. And I feel like my therapist might say that, but what makes this question so interesting is the power dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why yeah. I feel like it calls for something. It might be ghosty. It might not be great, but it's just like, I'm going to act like that didn't happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> is that good or bad? I don't know. I'm just trying to be honest. I would go, he's a grown person. I don't think he's going to fire me. I don't think mm. that's true. Um, and if he did, that would be ridiculous and cause for, you know, a lawsuit. Also, it's like, I think it's going to be okay and I'm just going to not mention it. And if he brings it up, I can say something that's gentle. I think people are very good at reading between the lines. And it's a way, you can talk about it being dishonest, but it's also just a way of sparing feelings. You go, I would, we just have a very full game right now, is a Mm -hmm. gentle way of saying, I don't think that's going to work. And then if you push me, I'll say, that doesn't work for me. And that's Mm -hmm. okay too. But if you're scared like I am and you don't want to say the simple phrase, I don't think that's going to work for me, but... You know, what is the most honest thing you could say? I, you know, I value our, our work relationship. I don't want to compromise that. In fact, I'm a little bit scared that mm-hmm. uh, not including you in this would will be bad for us in the office. But I like you. I like working here. I just don't think those two streams are going to merge for me right now. You know, that's the most honest thing. Yeah. Gary, I feel like you've got plenty to pick from here. Best of luck on your quest, whether it's D&D or your career. Um, (laughs) Pete, let's take a quick break, but don't go anywhere, and we'll be right back. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster... Sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. back. Pete, this next question was sent in from a listener named Audrey. Audrey writes, my 48-year-old sister and I always say we want to be comics. She bought me an online class to learn to be a comedian. Instead of doing the class together, she just had me listen to her material. I am the only person she shared it with. 
She is hilarious, but she is so shy and I can't get her to go to an open mic. My girlfriend says I should leave her alone because she has the right to not share her funniness. How much should I push her on stage? How do I do it? I mean, I personally feel like you don't need to push somebody if they really, really want to do comedy. And I think you can encourage her and maybe drop a few lines of like, do you think you'll ever do it? Or if you do it, you got to let me know. And oh my gosh, or I won't even go. Just tell me if you do it or record it. But only from time to time. I just don't think it'll be a really positive experience if you push someone, whether they they end up doing it or not, because of the pressure of like, yeah, you got to do it. You're so great. Or if they do do it because you pushed them and they don't have a great time, then that's going to not feel great. Yeah. But let's see what Petey Pants says. <laughs> wow, I think there's so much in this question. When mm-hmm. I was a kid, I remember my brother would pressure me into going on roller coasters, and I hated it. He'd you know, mm-hmm. tease me and all this stuff. Then I'd go on the roller coaster, and I f***ing loved it. I was so scared mm-hmm. to do it, and it actually you know, was the 80s. <laughs> it actually was something I was like, thank you for like teasing me onto the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. And then in your answer... Tig, I also heard the consideration of like, it's not for everybody. Like stand-up comedy is not for funny people. Stand-up comedy is not for talented people. It's for talented, funny people who have a compulsion to prove it (laughs) and to feel it on its Mm -hmm. feet. Yeah, Meaning it's okay, maybe, that she just writes it and that's the end of it. That being said, roller coaster, a little encouragement in the form of going to an open mic together but not signing up is always my number one stand-up advice. I go, just Mm -hmm. go, because you Mm -hmm. think it's going to be 10 incredible people. You will see that it is other nervous people like you. It's other people just being brave and trying. And you will wish you had signed up that night, but do not just watch. So Mm -hmm. that is a right amount. Let's just go. We'll have some drinks. We'll laugh. It'll be Mm -hmm. weird, we'll be alive, it'll be strange, with no agenda, and then that would be enough to go like, I think you could do that. I think you would have been the best on that show. And then when Mm -hmm. they do it, they'll see, am I talented and funny, or am I talented, funny, and a compulsive person that has a deep, and I don't mean this negatively, but I have a deep psychological need. I feel safe when I can make people happy. So when I go Mm -hmm. on stage and make people laugh, I feel safe. It's like taking 15 Xanax and a glass Mm -hmm. of wine. It's the best feeling in the world. And if they get that, then they'll know, not only can I do this, but this is written on my bones to do. I don't know that we can promote that 15 Xanax and a glass of wine is the best feeling in the world, Petey Pants. I've never taken 15 Xanax. I don't drink. uh, I've never even taken one Xanax. I've taken one Xanax because Mm -hmm. briefly, I went to the doctor and was like, I'm nervous when I fly. And I was. And then somebody mm-hmm. explained to me why I shouldn't take Xanax, and I stopped. Why? It's something, you know, it's a controlled substance. It's, it's mm-hmm. just a difficult thing. Yeah, yeah. Audrey, that's what Pete and I think. Good luck to you and your sister. And Pete, have you ever experienced what you consider to be a paranormal event? Love. 
this question. It's one it's one of my go-tos on you made it weird since you've been on. But I say, have you ever seen mm-hmm. a ghost? Have you seen a UFO? You ever almost die? You ever go to a psychic? Like I love those types mm-hmm. of things. Yeah. But I haven't been asked. Whenever I go home, if I sleep in my old childhood bedroom, to this day and reliably, it's pretty weird. If I sleep in my childhood bed, I feel my cat, Clem, jump up on the bed and he's mm. a big cat and, and moves the bed and he curls up next to me and I feel the weight of him on my legs. This is in the morning. I'm awake. I'm like kind of half. Wait, is Clem alive? Don't steal my punchline, Tig. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no punchline. Clem is long dead. (laughs) I gathered that. So that is like the most gentle, not scary. In fact, I'll Mm -hmm. I'll lay still. You know, I wake up and I go, this is when Clem usually comes. And I'll just kind of lay there and wait for it. And and he comes. He jumps up on the bed. It's happened, you know, four or five times in my life. So there's a ghost cat Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in my life. So you believe in him? I believe that reality is so much more, it cheapens it to say magical, but I believe at its core, it's one thing playing a loving trick on itself, playing a loving game with itself, dancing Mm -hmm. with itself. I believe that there is no message that God or the universe needs to send to you other than absolute blinding, unconditional love and delight that you can't even begin to imagine. It's not trying to tell me, quit my job. It's not trying to tell me, go and pull over there. These things are reflections of of a, a taste, a smell on the breeze of flowers you can't see that reminds us of our true nature. So I'm, I, I do believe that everything mm-hmm. here has meaning, but it's really just because it's an echo of the deeper meaning, which is that everything is okay and that you mm-hmm. are that everything. And we're just momentarily playing a game of separation to delight ourselves and maybe to learn things. That's what my daughter's name, my daughter's name is Leela, and it's a Sanskrit word for the dance or the play of the universe. If you see numbers, you see patterns, you see this, you see that, synchronicities, those are all, there's only one message is you are okay. There's nothing you can do to it up. And to quote Father Greg Boyle, God is too busy delighting in you to even have a plan for you. It protects mm-hmm. you from nothing but sustains you in everything. So these messages are, are reflections of a perfect love. That's what I would say. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's a lot to think about and uh, take in, and it feels right on. And, and our next question comes from a skeptic. Yeah. Thea writes, I'm in a mostly happily committed relationship of 22 years, and my partner has become obsessed with YouTube videos that show purportedly, quote-unquote, real supernatural encounters. The fact that he falls for these is truly painful to me. He wants me to watch them with him, but he gets easily hurt when I point out why I don't find them credible. I just can't shake off how much this bugs me. Mm. What should I do? Thea means God. That's crazy. Like theology. It's the feminine. Yeah. Wild. You yeah. want to go take? I don't, I, nothing jumps to mind other than like, you know, not everybody's for everybody. That's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, it's really interesting because they've been together 22 years. Oh, and, right. Yeah. And so it feels like even if this partner is only recently becoming obsessed with these YouTube videos, wasn't there something in their personality before that that would make this not so much of a surprise? And also, 
It's like if Stephanie was obsessed with YouTube videos of supernatural encounters, I would wonder maybe what's going on yeah. with her, that this is where she's directing her energy. Yeah. Is there something he's avoiding? You know, it feels like when people are caught in the the loop of social media so deeply that Mm -hmm. that's where they're living rather than in their actual life. I think that's good. I I immediately go to, well, if they've been together for 22 years, I wonder how, what their age is. I wonder where Mm -hmm. we are. They're 23. They're 23 and they've been together for 20. (laughs) (laughs) You are so dry. I didn't even get it. I gotcha, Petey. I'm like, you're you're saying they got together when they were one? (laughs) That's right. So let's say they're close to my age, maybe middle age. You're starting to look at death. You're starting to, you know what I mean? I find it significant Mm -hmm. that it's Mm -hmm. paranormal things. And what are paranormal things? But like a shortcut to the idea that more is going on here than we think and and Mm -hmm. life after death. You know, the relief of seeing a ghost. People don't Mm -hmm. talk about that. There's a relief. There's something more going on here. Mm -hmm. We've circled back to where we began, which is the mask. Mm-hmm. So there's a mask and it's manifesting as I, I'm obsessed. That's not who this person really is. It's it's mm-hmm. what's coming out. Mm-hmm. Fear is there. Curiosity is there. Joy is there. Fun is there. Maybe they're just looking for a thrill. Their life is boring, whatever it is. But this is what they're presenting to the world. So it's not false. It's just their mask. And it doesn't sound real, but I really believe that everything is love or a call for it. And this mm-hmm. is a call for love. I'll give mm-hmm. you like... Connection. Yeah, connection. Mm -hmm. So straightening their mask, Mm -hmm. instead of saying, I don't think this is real, recognizing this is a call for love. Mm -hmm. If your heart was fully open, and mine is not, I'm just saying, we know when our heart is fully open and vulnerable. It's almost Mm -hmm. scary. It's terrifying. Yes, and someone says, I want to show this to you. And owning the intimacy of that. I like this. I want you to like it. I want you to tell me it's okay that I like it. It's not. The last thing on that list is, is this real? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just play. It's mm-hmm. just an excuse to love each other. I, I think when people do things we don't understand, when our hearts are open, we realize that was just another opportunity to love and to say yes to them, to forgive reality, and to not argue with it. What is the voice of your pain in this issue? And if you really get honest and start writing it down and and listening to it, what is it saying? He's making me stupid. (laughs) Might be one of them. Is that true? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Can you know that that's true? How do you feel when you believe it? How would you feel if you believe the opposite? And how is the opposite true? But get in touch with what your pain is. Mm -hmm. My partner needs to like the things I like. Is that true? That's easy. How is that not true? What are the things you like that they don't like? If my wife said to me, baby, uh, like I love cold exposure, right? Ice bath is so boring. If she Mm -hmm. said, you know, sweetheart, I know you love that, but she's straightening my mask. It's tender. I love you. You're my person. I just need you every fifth time you think to tell me something about cold exposure therapy, say that one. Just give me Uh every five. I just need a break. I get overwhelmed. I'm embarrassed. I don't even know why I feel the way I feel. I owe that to you to figure it out, but I don't know why. I just can't vibe with this. I want to love you. I want to be here for you. Ideally, I could even enjoy these with you. I'm not Mm -hmm. there yet. 
So give me a little understanding. I'll give you a little understanding and see, and see where it goes. Everything is love or a call for love. That's what I would say. Fia. I mean, you heard it right there. <laughs> Do you always say that? Yeah, I mean, it's true. It is true. I mean, Thea. It's hard to do, though. I, I, I also want to say that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. It takes practice. So be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you guys have a good thing going. It should be safe enough to go like, this mm-hmm. isn't for me. That's okay. It's okay. Be safe with each other. Be safe. Thea, thanks for writing in. The truth is out there. <laughs> Pete, we have one last thing to do before the show ends. This is advice of yesteryear. When Jerry brags about taking Ginny out, he learns that she dates all the boys. So as we see now, menstruation is just one routine step in a normal and natural cycle. How do you choose a date? Well, one thing you can consider is look. I did everything you said, but my boss still hasn't asked me to lunch. This is where we take a real question from an advice column of yesteryear and try to answer it a little better. Pete, the question we've chosen for you was written in December 1929 (laughs) to advice columnist Dorothy Dix. A troubled wife writes, Oh, no. Dear Miss Dix, I have been married more than two years, have a comfortable home, a husband who is a good provider, and a darling baby. But our home life is miserable because my husband does not like my people, yet he wants me to be friends with his family. We both have quick tempers. Should I take my family's advice and divorce my husband and come back and live with them? Do you think I will be bettering myself to go to my mother's, or shall I stay with my husband and let my baby know it has a father who loves it? Wow. I have to just jump in right away and say, why are you calling your baby an it? <laughs> Why are you calling your family your people? That's that's also gone. He's got Let no people. My baby, no, it has a father who loves it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Double it. It, was, yeah. it wasn't a mistake. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a troubled wife is crazy about this good provider. Like one of those, I settled because. There's a comfortable home, a good provider, and a darling baby. Yeah. In these moments, I imagine myself writing, if I had a problem with Stephanie this big, (laughs) writing into an advice column. Yeah. You know? It would be telling to me, this this doesn't feel good. Yeah. I think you're so right on it. You've been doing it the whole show is like looking a little bit past the problem. You know, it's not paranormal mm-hmm. videos. It's like, what are we running from? What, are, what What's wrong? Like, how mm-hmm. can we love the cause, not the effect? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if this person is writing this in, if it is a genuine question, what aren't they saying? This is what they're will- mm-hmm. This is the version they're willing to put in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you got to be afraid that people are going to know it's you, even though you're being sly. Yeah. So it's got to be worse. And this is a huge issue. And you'd think it wouldn't be happening. But Val and I were just on vacation and I overheard a very drunk conversation with a man and his new bride that was from 1920, whatever this is. It was the same. December 1929. Excuse me. 
1929. They're they're in Mm -hmm. for a big surprise in three years. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So maybe stay together because provider sounds pretty good right now. You might want to hoard some grain. Um, But this is still happening. It's like a mass hypnosis we all need to wake up from. Mm -hmm. This idea, this antiquated idea. Essentially what's going on is you sell your youth and your beauty and your body and your sexuality to a brute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who also is a victim of this. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that just to be even. Nobody told this person how to be vulnerable. Nobody told this person how to have value outside of his monetary worth, his skill as a provider. So everybody's losing. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the answer to this beautiful person in December 1929 is to necessarily cut and run. It's a little overwhelming to think of the work that needs to be done. It's given the time frame. You know? How much work did people really put in in December 1929? Yeah. That's why I think you and I are the descendants of a lot mm-hmm. of compromised marriages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is that just a, a complicated part of human history? And now we're in a place where, you know, technology, food technology, transportation tech, all these things that have made the industrial revolution for one of them that makes life comfortable enough that we can stop and go, okay, we have heat, we have food, we have, you know, basic needs are met. Now we can try and have a better work of art marriage. This person isn't really going to find a support system that goes like, he's not a co-parent. He's not my best friend. He's not wise. (laughs) He's not a reader. He's not growing. He's not changing. You know what I mean? So, It's really an interesting segment of the show because the advice you would give in this day and age requires a support system. It requires people that wouldn't think you were insane. If I were this woman, I would go insane though. I would, that would be my play. I would say either we need to change this or it's not working because I'd rather be insane, meaning thought to be insane and free and Mm -hmm. spacious and available. I don't care what year it is. This magic universe has always been undulating and and Mm -hmm. perfect and wild. I'd rather dance naked in that waterfall, a little bit scared, than stay in this black and white kitchen, this grainy film black and white kitchen with it and my brute. Um, So how many people can do that? Buddy, it's hard. And if you're trying to do that, just like the open mic people, get some support. Get some avatars, people that have done it before you, and start to imagine that powerful person inside of you and see if it helps. Do you want to hear what Dorothy Dix's advice was? I can't wait. If you will take my advice, you and your husband will pack up bag and baggage and take your baby under your arm and go to live somewhere as far as possible from your meddling families. If it is impossible for you to move to another city, then tell your families to go hang and to keep their hands off your affairs. I don't hate it. (laughs) It's an angle that I didn't see. Mm -hmm. She heard the question in a way that maybe our our years separating us <laughs> made it hard for me to hear it that way and she's right there is i love the image of the crab bucket and your family is a crab bucket and when i first heard that it it changed my life you're trying to get out of the bucket you're trying mm-hmm. to move the ball up the field to mix the metaphor you're trying to do something new and a bucket of crabs everybody's trying to get something better but they're just pulling each other down yeah. and it's not cruel 
It's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to do better than your parents. For sure. You're supposed to raise your kids well enough that they don't need you. When my mom says, I miss you, they live in Boston. I wish I saw you more. I always say, mom, it means you did your job. You did a good Mm -hmm. job. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Because I'm living a good life, a life that your love was the foundation of. You made me believe in myself. Like, why'd you go and do something like that? Because now I'm an astronaut. (laughs) You know what I mean? But that's, I like this advice. I think this world could use a little bit more. There's so much like family, family, God, family. Okay, but that doesn't mean codependence and that doesn't mean clipping your wings because you're light makes your family uncomfortable. It doesn't mean pulling back on your speed because you don't want to humiliate your father by beating him. Mm-hmm. Go, go, go. And maybe this person can come with you. I, I think it's actually pretty good advice. And you might not even have to move to another city. You could also just put a boundary. create a very solid boundary around yeah. your immediate family, your spouse and your child, your beautiful little baby, and give it a whirl without the infiltration of friends and family and their opinions and people from the future, Tig and Petey Pants, giving you advice. Pete, we've come to the end. Yeah. What a phenomenal guest that you were. Oh, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to do the show. It was my pleasure. You're just one of the coolest and funniest people. And when the ask came in, I was very happy to do this with you. Well, thanks for saying yes. And congrats on your radical life that you've created for yourself. Thank you. I feel equally as lucky. Isn't it wild? And I know we're wrapping up, but it's not just famous comedian. I know so many miserable famous comedians. The work never stops. This train comes in, you got to chase that one, chase that one. But then the reason I like talking about my happiness is I'm like, it's possible. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can find a way to get that table so it doesn't wobble. And it doesn't yeah. have to be rich and famous. It's just like, find your needs, be honest about them, mm-hmm. and be open to them being met. <laughs> I'm all for that. And I'm, I've been searching for that and hoping for that for myself and thrilled that I, I have, I think, a pretty darn good version of it. And I'm happy to know that you do as well. Yeah. And Is there anything that that you would like listeners to know about? Well, you know, people should listen to you on You Made It Weird because it's right when you and Stephanie started dating. And it's this (laughs) wonderful time capsule of you in love. I know you're still in love, but like newly in love and excited. So it's called You Made It Weird. I'm very proud of the show and a great place to start is your episode. And if you'd like to see me do stand-up, it's it's just PeteHolmes.com. Well, yes, I would actually love to go back and listen to that episode. I was on cloud nine. It was so fun. Yeah. All the best to you, sir, and hope to see you uh, around this planet sooner than later. Me too. Hopefully it'll happen. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's what you have.
Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shayna Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson, Derek Ramirez, Josh Savageo, and Evan Clark. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 